We're very glad that you've come to join with us today. And for those of you not able to be here in person but watching online, a very warm welcome to you as well. If we haven't met before, my name is Duncan, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor here. And after this service today, there'll be teas and coffees served and an opportunity to, um, uh, to meet you and to get to know each other. So please do feel free to stay to that. This is our family service. So once a month, we have a service where we all stay in together. So there'll be no junior church today, no Bible class, and we're all going to stick excuse me, we're all going to stick together. So please don't be embarrassed about any noise. Um, We love to be reminded that there are children in our midst. And um, if you do feel that you need to to step out, the atrium is there and the service will be, uh, you can be able to watch the service there if you need to just take that space. But please don't feel any pressure from me or from us. We're delighted that you're here, whatever age you are. And this is one of those weekends though, isn't it? Um, a weekend of real significance, of historical significance. And this probably is one of those weekends, even if you don't feel it right now, where many years from now you will say, oh, I can remember when the king's coronation was. Um, Just like there's a handful of you that can remember when the queen's coronation was. Um, I won't embarrass you by saying who I know can remember it. It's one of those things that already, and I have done this a lot already this morning, that when we see people, the first thing we're going to ask is, well, did you see it? What did you think of it? Didn't you think she would be a bit grander? How much do you think it all cost? These are the things that we're talking about, isn't it? And it's on these weekends more than any other, I would say, we need to be reminded about why we come to church. We come here because there is a greater king. And that's not to say that we can't talk about the coronation, but there's a greater king. The one who the Bible calls the king of kings. And when we reflect on who he is, and we reflect on all that he's done, then there's a sense in which we are compelled to come together and worship him. We come here because Jesus is the king, the true king over all. The apostle Paul reminded the church of how wonderful Jesus is when he prayed for them that they might know the power of God that is at work in them. And, he, and he, he helped them understand it like this, that same power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says to Christians who were in a small church 
And he would say to them this, the power that is at work in you is the same power that was at work in Jesus, not only raising him from the dead, but exalting him to the place of highest authority above every king, every ruler, above every power. We're going to read from the Bible. That's the next thing we're going to do. Um, And uh, Sharon's going to do do that for us. It's, It's a part of the Bible that was written to some Christians who were discouraged. They believed in Jesus, but since believing in Jesus, life had become hard. They used to be Jews. They used to worship at the temple where they could make sacrifices, where they had a priest who could help them. But now they trusted in Jesus. And, well, Jesus had gone to heaven. They couldn't see him. He was now their priest. He was now their sacrifice. And their Jewish friends and family were saying, what are you guys doing? How could you leave behind all of these wonderful things that you had when you were Jews? And some made life very hard for them. So much so that some of these Christians were thinking of giving up on following Jesus. Well, this book of the Bible, and Sharon's going to read the first nine verses of it for us, was written to show why it would be crazy to give up on following Jesus. And it's all about remembering who Jesus is, because when you get that, you'll keep going. Thank you, Sharon. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, the supremacy of God's Son. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Thank you. Thank you. So, we have a king who has officially been crowned. Um, king Charles III is officially in the job. Now, I've got a question for you. Um, under 12s get the first chance to answer this one. What are King Charles's qualifications for the job? All right, what is it that means that he gets to be king? Yes. He was the oldest child of Queen Elizabeth. Exactly right. And, I mean, I'm not making any point here, 
That's his only qualification for the job. He is the oldest child of Queen Elizabeth. He's qualified because he's the son of the queen. Well, the verses that we've just had read for us today tell us that we must never forget whose son Jesus is. We must never forget whose son he is. And it's explained to us in what seems like a strange way. Um, Verses 1 to 3 of Hebrews chapter 1 tell us who Jesus is. And we're going to come back to those in just a moment. And then he makes this point. He says, he has become superior to the angels. He's better than the angels. And in the Bible, angels are important. Uh, You find them quite frequently in the Bible doing some important things. But here, they are important for helping us to understand who we are and where we fit. So, I'm going to need four volunteers, preferably of varying heights. So, any minute, I'll, I'll, I'll take any four, to be honest with you, looking out at the crowd today. Four volunteers, please. We're going to understand why angels are important in helping us to know. Yes, come on, Malachi. Come on, Sam. You're welcome. Yep, yep. Any others? Any others? I need two more. You coming? Lovely. Come on up. Lovely, lovely. Good man. Come on. Come and join us. Right. Yes, come on up. Come on up. Okay. So, I need four volunteers because I've got four pieces of paper with four different words on them. All right. Let me give you that one. Uh, You can have that one, Malachi. How about you take that one? And you take that one. Right. Can you show everybody what your words are? All right. Let me just whiz that round. So, here we've got animals, humans, angels, and God. Okay, so broadly speaking, the Bible tells us that this is how everything you need to know is arranged, all right? There are these four different categories, but they are in height order, okay? So, one of them is right at the top, one of them is right at the bottom, and the other two fit somewhere in between, okay? So, what do you think, team? Which one of these four do you think goes at the top? I think you're right. Okay, so could you hold that one nice and high for us? Nice and high. You're going to stretch that arm. Good lad. So, God is at the top. And and which of these three do you think is at the bottom then? What have we got? Angels, humans, or animals? Uh, What do you think? I think this one. You think angels are at the bottom? At the bottom, you meant. Yeah, right at the bottom. Which one do you think are right at the bottom? Uh, What do you think? Is animals really bad? Yeah. We're going to go with animals. Right, can you, can you come, come, come round here with animals over here? And, uh, excuse me, Sam. Now, if you could go right down at the bottom there with animals, that's lovely. Perfect, perfect. Super, okay. Good, stop, stop. Stay there, that's perfect. And you can move here. Why didn't I use the steps? Of course. All right. Which is higher, angels or humans? Angels is higher? Okay, well done. So you can stand front here, and you go right into the middle there, Malachi. That's brilliant. Can you manage to pop onto that step there? Great. Right. What have we got? God, angels, humans, animals. 
Often, the Bible, a couple of times, the Bible will speak about human beings as being slightly lower than the angels, okay? So, God has made these remarkable beings called angels, and slightly lower than them are human beings, and human beings below them are animals, and of course, right at the top is God who made it all. Now, this helps us to understand why does that, those verses that Sharon read for us say that Jesus is superior to the angels? Well, it tells us He's not just a human. He's not lower than the angels. He's not an angel. He's superior to the angels. So, who is he? Hey, well done. It worked. Good. Thank you, team. I might need some help later on as well. Great stuff. Thank you. So, well done, team. Um, So, there is God who is above all And then beneath him, created angels and uh, human beings, and below them is is the rest of the creation. Jesus is not lower than the angels. He is superior to the angels. For a short time, he was made lower than the angels. He became a human being, but he has been exalted, superior to the angels. He is God. And the writer of this book explains it and says, well, you know, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son. And there's what makes Jesus stand out. He is the unique son of God. He is um, made of the same substance that God is. This is one of the ways that the Bible tells us that Jesus is God. And so then when we go back to those first three verses that Sharon read for us, we see um, that this is where the whole of this book starts telling us that Jesus is God. Um, Through Jesus, God has spoken, is what it says in verses 1 and 2. Through Jesus, God created the entire world. Through Jesus, the whole world is being held together. He uses His powerful words to do it. It says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, which is another way of saying, if you want to see what God is like, then just look at Jesus. He is God who has come to us and represents God perfectly because He is God. And why? Verse 3, it says, He made purification for sins. Purification for sins. You know, purification means to wash something, to cleanse it completely. And here we're told that Jesus came to purify sins. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We are all guilty to one degree or another of ignoring or rejecting God in this world that He's created. And that stains us. That's the kind of language. It stains us and it separates us from God. But God the Son has come as a man. He was made lower than the angels to make purification for sins. And He did that through His death on the cross. His his perfect life as a human being, He laid it down in the place of sinners, and He has been raised from the dead. And the question is, whose sins? Whose sins are they talking about here? Not for his own, 
for we, as we read the life of Jesus, and the Bible repeatedly tells us that He was without sin, but He dies in the place of sinners, that they may be cleansed and purified. And having been raised from the dead, He's exalted higher than the angels. He's better than the angels. God Himself has come to save us. One of the main ways that um, the writer of this book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews that we're thinking about, one of the main ways that he helps those who are reading it, including us, to understand who Jesus is, is by telling us what the Jewish Bible says, the Old Testament, this old part of our Bible, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And I want you to notice that here we're being told that Jesus is the King who reigns forever. We've seen that He's the King who is a Son, and we see that He is the King who reigns forever. And to make that point, he quotes from one of the Psalms, um, from Psalm 45, and Alan's going to pop those words up on the screen. Psalm 45. Um, the Psalms are, are, are like the songbook of the Bible. That's where you find all the hymns that they used to sing and still sing, thankfully. And just like the rest of the Bible, they point us to Jesus. And some of the Psalms do that more clearly than others, and this is one of them. It's a Psalm about the coronation of a king. And even though it speaks about the king of Israel being crowned, there are parts of the Psalm that go further, they go deeper, they use language that no normal king could fulfill. And here's what we're to understand. The words in verses 8 to 9 are God speaking to His Son. And what does He say to Him? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, you may spot that there are some words in those verses that were very prominent yesterday. And if you weren't paying attention yesterday, that's fine as well. This will still make sense, I hope. But we're going to need some volunteers to help us. So, if you didn't volunteer last time and you saw how friendly I am up here and would like to volunteer this time, um, please do pop your hand up. You've got a very important job for somebody. Last chance, then it's Ben Brown. Come on, son. Welcome. Um, there are room for other helpers as well. Now, I don't think you've got any idea how important this job is for you today, okay? okay. In those verses up there, there are a few things that you need for a king or a queen. We've got, we've, got, we've got jobs for everyone here, don't worry. And the first one is, anyone idea, if you, if you look at those words up there, what, what's the first word that stands out that, that you need for, to have a king or a queen? Yes? Pardon? It does, but that's, any, any words before that? We'll come to that one later. Yes, sir? throne, your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. Ben, this is for you. Here you go. Why don't you take a seat there? And uh, 
I will take my appropriate place down here. <clears throat> oh, hang on. I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need some help. Don't, don't, don't desert us just yet. So, every king needs a throne. And uh, God says to His Son, your throne is forever and ever. Where is Jesus' throne? It's not in Jerusalem. His throne is in heaven. And in fact, earlier it said, He is at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the majesty on high. This is where Jesus reigns. He reigns in heaven. His throne is far greater than any throne on earth. It is one that will endure forever. Okay, any other words on there? Next word, perhaps, that stands out as something that you would need for a a king or a queen to be crowned? Any ideas? Nora? Scepter. Um, would you like to present the scepter to our, our, our king for today? If you could just pot, give that to this young man there. Thank you. The scepter. Um, this one's not worth as much as the ones yesterday, <laughs> but not worth nothing. The scepter tells us what kind of ruler the king is to be. What kind of scepter does Jesus have? The scepter of uprightness. This is the kind of king he is because this is the kind of person he is. You see that is developed a bit more in verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. This is the kind of rule that Jesus promises to extend. Um, could you, would you mind to pop into that bag and see what else you can find? I think there's maybe one extra one in there which… Yeah, go with that one. Go with that one. That's just a… If you, do you mind to, to, to crown the king? Would you be okay to do that? Thank you. This one's not in the verses. It's just for fun. Okay, and there's one, there's one more thing in there, is there? Could you, could you… Thank you. All right, could you show us what this is? Oil. A jug of oil. Um, and as we've already been pointed out, the oil is there to anoint the king. And that's mentioned there in verse 9. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Anointing with oil is setting apart the king for the job. It is God's way of saying, this one is mine. There's a symbolism here of, of God even pouring out His Spirit, and I think there was a lot of talk about that in the ceremony yesterday. But especially for Jesus, the oil of gladness anointing Him is the Spirit who sets Him apart. Thank you. I don't think we've got any more in there, but thank you for your help. You can stay here for a second. Why is it that God anoints them? You see that there's a therefore God has anointed you. It's because of this loving of righteousness and hating of wickedness. There's none of us can say that about ourselves, that we've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. It's only of Jesus we can ever say that. This really is the King that we need, who's promised that there is coming a day 
when He will return and establish this kind of kingdom, this kind of reign over the whole world. And what we're to see now in the church is a foretaste of that, that as people look into this community of people who love and follow Jesus and who submit to Him as their King, that there should be in this people a foretaste of the kingdom to come, a place where people love one another regardless of background, a place where people care for one another and treat one another as family because we are all united under this one king. And that presents a powerful challenge to us all. I'm going to let you head off. You can keep those if you like, but the kitchen folk won't let me give you the jug. So, you head on back. Thank you, Ben. Good job to the king. Well, yeah, perfect. One last thing. I don't know how many of you did this yesterday. Um, The nation were encouraged to say, I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. Encouraged to pledge allegiance to the king. Um, You might have noticed that not everybody did that in Britain yesterday. Some went even further and protested against the king, yellow t-shirts saying, not my king. And um, you might not agree with me on this, but it's okay for people to protest in that way. Because in Britain today, the king actually doesn't have much by way of real power. He can't start a war He can't arrest somebody. He can't even avoid paying tax. You are allowed to think that there's a better way of doing things than having a king. But when it comes to Jesus, oh boy, we've got to be very careful about how we respond to Him. Because we live in a world where lots of people say the same thing about Jesus. They don't wear the t-shirts, but they say, He's not my king not my king. But if what we've been reading today is true, then that may well be the biggest mistake you ever make in your life. Thinking nice things about Jesus even is one thing, but if he claims to be, if he is who he claims to be, if these words that we've read from Hebrews are true, that He really is superior to the angels, He is God who's come to to bring purification for sins, then Jesus has the right to command our allegiance. And to reject Him would be disastrous. And this is the call that Jesus makes even today, is a call to come and to submit to Him as King, to believe in Him and to trust Him that He really is who the Bible says He is, and to be part of His kingdom, to submit to the reign of Jesus Christ, to follow and serve Him, so that through Jesus, through His life, His death, and His resurrection all on our behalf, we come to God and find that the road to living a life pleasing to Him is possible, 
And that is only found in Jesus. Because you see, Jesus is the unique king, the king over all kings, and the one who we don't get to say, well, maybe there's a better way than submitting to this king. This is the king. All authority and all power are his by right. Authority and power over you, even. He is our creator. He is the one who is going to bring the history of the world to its final conclusion. And where will we be if we're there with our t-shirts on saying, not my king? We'll be lost. We'll be his enemies. The invitation is to come. Jesus is the king who welcomes sinners because he is the only king who has made purification for sins and who can give you the guarantee of eternal life because his throne is forever and forever. Let's take a moment to to pray, and then we're going to sing again. Father, we thank you for revealing to us who Jesus is. Thank you for this amazing message that comes to us about Jesus being the King over all, and even though He is the greatest, most powerful, and most glorious King, we are amazed when we learn that He came to earth as a man and died on the cross for sinners like us. And we thank You that He rose again from the dead so that any who place their faith in Him can be forgiven and receive eternal life. I pray that You would help every one of us here today to submit to King Jesus and find that living in His kingdom under His rule is the most blessed and joyful thing we could ever do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.